are listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. This episode is brought to you by nobody yet, but if you're interested in advertising here, please email me at ryan at pullacrossmadesimple.com. We reach a truly global audience of fans and players. On this episode of Chugga Talk, you'll meet Joy Poole, former New South Wales champion team player and current patron of their state association. We discuss the characteristics of a winning team, horse training and breeding, why the game isn't actually faster, and much more. From the wisest pole across mentor I know, you'll receive more gems than any other episode that came before. So listen closely and enjoy. Hello. How's things going? Yeah, good. Good. We've, uh, we seem to have got out of that drought. So that's all very positive. Great. Yeah, what's it like over there? How are you getting on with this corona? We're sort of getting bad reports about Texas. There seemed to be a bit of a spark up there. Texas is known for not uh, succeeding to anything told to them. Everybody has kind of gotten out and gone to the beaches and gone to the restaurants like nothing's happened. And now the transmission has just gone crazy. It's gone out of control. So we're kind of hanging back. We're thankful we're living out in the middle of nowhere and not talking to many people. Yeah, you know, the good thing about it was everybody here tried to do the right thing on, you know, 99% of them, except for a big mistake where they let people off a cruise liner where a lot of people um, ended up with it. We've got out of it pretty well, really. Oh, yeah, you all are doing it right. Uh, Over here, there's not much leadership going on right now. There's no one direction to go in. So it's uh, kind of a free-for-all. Yes, well, it didn't help having those couple of deaths, you know, police shootings. No, it's it's all been a worry (laughs) for the last couple months. Everybody's just, for starting, everybody was cooped up and antsy about things. And then a couple of little sparks just ignited a huge fire. Yes. Yeah, it's it's sort of an experiment, isn't it? Who knows what will happen with, the, you know, two weeks after the protests, maybe two weeks after opening up. I know that Steph Shuttles was working. She works at a YMCA. She just started going back to work a few weeks ago. So it's a combination right. of a lot of things. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Ron. How are you going? Great. It's been uh, 13 years since I've seen you. <laughs> this is so great. I, I'm so excited just to talk to you. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> You're all just as ugly as you always were. <laughs> Robbie, last time we did an interview and Robbie with the U.S. team and Robbie was in his trophy room, but he's in the kitchen now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm wearing my really old jersey, uh, 1998, New South yeah, Wales. Look at that. That looks very promising. <laughs> Number three. How'd you stretch it out? I don't know. <laughs> was, it, was this your wish? You were always going to want to play number three. Yeah. 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 I don't even know who this was from. I can't remember. <laughs> we go really far back. You had such an influence on me. Some of my most, let's say, impressionable times as a late teen, early 20s World Cup team twice as a coach. And you you uh, coach Robbie as well, but you, you go a lot further back with Robbie. I just wanted to kind of let everyone know how we knew each other. 
but we should probably start with when Robbie met Joy. Well, it must have been when he brought a New South Wales team over to the States, probably in the 1993, 1994. Could have been 95, perhaps. Perhaps it was 99. Yeah, maybe late 94, 95. Out of high school, I went to New Zealand and I stayed over there for eight months. And then I went to Joy and Claudia's for five or six months after that. Yes. No, it was good. I've, I've just been going through some old photos and I actually found some of um, you, Robbie, riding Kanchi 2 at the first right. carnival out of Golgong. Yep. Uh, and Ryan, uh, you wouldn't believe it. I, I found a lovely photo of your mother when she oh. was here. She was riding Kookaburra. Oh. And, uh, so anyhow, I've got that photo with the idea of, of getting my professional IT people. <laughs> That's another way of saying I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I'll get them. I'll get them to email it across to you. I assume that you're putting together something for this book that's coming out next year for the anniversary for the the society, right? That's right. And I was really excited to see that uh, your mother's stud is doing something for it. Yes, yes, we're going to put something together for that. Yes. Mm. Now I'm I'm just in the. <laughs> I might look as if I'm going okay, but I'm just actually having a nervous breakdown. I've got about four stories to write in about 10 days mm. uh, and then that wasn't going to be too bad until somebody said to me, oh, you realise you're writing the introduction to the book, don't you? And <laughs> so, I don't know whether they want, want me to write two pages, 10 pages or what, but so. <laughs> that, that's your cross to bear. You wrote an intro for my book, Champion. That, that must be something that you get asked a lot to do. Yes, yes. So, Yes, so the book, I have got a little bit to do with the book. Oh, not a little bit. The history of, yeah. uh, of the society. Oh, geez. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. We, we shouldn't go down that rabbit hole yet. That's quite a rabbit hole. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> what were some of your fond memories of America when you came? That you have to yes, start over? look, my memories of America are all extremely positive. I always had some wonderful friends in America. Everybody was so welcoming. The scenery was absolutely stunning. You know, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, the places I was visiting. So, no, all... Uh, all very good. I guess the most important thing was that by going there, I ma I've made lifetime friends. And right. I had the, the pleasure of people like you and Robbie coming out to stay with me, also coaching the uh, American World Cup team for, for 2003 and 2007 was uh, a, wonderful, a wonderful thrill for me. No, so everything to do with America, I was very impressed with. Well, Joy, let me, let me just say that you came to the U.S. at the right time for these two World Cup teams that you coach. You had such wisdom as far as strategy and play, but you focused so much on horsemanship that it really changed the trajectory of American polo cross. So you really had a big influence on it. That's very, very nice to hear because uh, I've always considered the most important thing in polo cross is the horse. Having had the pleasure of riding some truly wonderful horses, you just realise if, if you pay attention to your horse and you train your horse to understand the game, just as you train yourself to understand the game, what your horse can do for you in polo cross is just unbelievable. Yeah, I'd like to go back to when, when you started polo cross. You were on a women's team that really dominated for decades. So if you wouldn't mind sort of going back and, and talking about the, the people on that team, what made it so 
so phenomenal, so, such a dominating team. I probably need to go back a little bit further. I actually started playing in 1956. Now, anybody listening to the podcast will think, gee, she's doing well. She's still able to talk. Uh, (laughs) You started when you were one, when you were age one. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, at any rate, we we were playing locally here in the Hunter Valley and Polo Cross was really just getting started. And we went down to play at a tournament in, in Sydney and it was called the Empire Fund carnival and it was raising money to send uh, athletes to the empire games which is now the commonwealth games now we went down there thinking we were fairly good players and we met these slick players from sydney and i think we managed to score one goal all weekend and it was because (laughs) one of the players that was playing number one his horse reared the number three horse got out of the way <laughs> and he used the opportunity to score. <laughs> what I'm trying to get across here is that we, we thought we were good, but we were really dreadful. Now, <laughs> one of these players that were giving us this terrible hiding, I think it was actually a God, God-given thing. He felt sorry for us. We were so bad. He, he decided that this good player from Sydney needed to get a job in, in Maitland. Well, she came to Maitland and she started talking to us and me in particular about the fact that you had to have structure in the game. You didn't just get the ball like we were and roaring yep. up the field and hoping we all got there at the same time and, and, you know, scoring a goal. And she started to talk to me about, you know, patterns and movements and various other structures. And what it actually does, it actually teaches you, when you see a player in a particular position on the field, you can read where you need to go straight away. Now, going back to this women's team that I played in, that uh, I actually played with two players at one stage. Now we played with, I played with a variation of players, but, but I think what I should say is all these players had an idea about playing to structure. If, for example, if the number three was on my uh, stick side, they would know that when we were running to the area, they'd be running to my off stick side. And so that you suddenly had, you weren't screaming out, come this way or go that way. You knew knew where you were going. So I guess one of the things that made us so good was because everybody knew what they were doing and where they needed to go. And that was a massive help. The second thing was this, that everyone was very, very well mounted. They had very good horses. So wherever you needed to go, you were able to get there. And the other thing was, everybody had a good attitude, which meant if somebody did make a mistake, it wasn't a case of what did you do that for? It was a case of, Righto, let's get going again, you know. You had the good horse, you had knowledge of where you were supposed to be going, 
Obviously, you had a few skills where you could pick up balls and throw goals. And you also had this good attitude that kept you you going, you know, which uh, I think were probably the combinations that made it such a very good team. If your horse is getting you to the ball so well, your pickups don't have to be spectacular. Your goal shots don't have to be spectacular. Not what we're seeing in today's game. The horses were just phenomenal. I mean, I'm not saying the horses aren't phenomenal now, but... It was a finesse game. It was not a a rough game in any way. And your finesse was just dominating. Yeah, one of the things that I actually, (laughs) that actually uh, really makes, I don't know what, makes me upset is when I hear commentators saying, oh, this game is just like football. Well, it's not like football. It's not like football at all because, uh, and the reason I know this is because the woman that invented the game, she actually said this to me the last time I spoke to her. She said to me, and these were her words, she said, Joy, always tell people that polo cross is about people riding clever horses and playing a smart game. It's never been about banging into people or whatever. That was the person that started the game. That's what she told me. And that's what I've tried to spread the whole time is that if I had to compare it to anything, we'd be comparing it to something more like ballet from the point of view that the horses are pretty in their movements. They're checking up, they're changing direction. They're they're taking another horse off. You see, I think... We've come from an era, like, even though I was only 14 uh, when I started playing, I was one of the youngest ones, so I'd always played uh, ball uh, and racket skill games prior to that, so I was starting early, but as we went through, and I know looking at Maitland Club, We've got players there that are third generation players. Well, those people have been walking around with a racket in their hands since they were 15 months old. So some of them have got incredible racket skills, unbelievable racket skills. What they can do just makes you gasp. But the problem is because their racket skills are so good, they tend to forget about teaching the horse. I remember Daryl Smith uh, who was a great player here in Australia back in the the, uh, the 80s and 90s uh, and a great horseman, a brilliant horseman. And he had a lot of really good horses, but he had a really brilliant mare called Betty Jane. And he was playing up at Queensland at the Australian Championships and, and he'd been injured uh, previous to the carnival but he was still trying to play with I think it turned out later he had a cracked hip or something Mm. and I said to him uh, he was getting balls he was playing number three and he was getting balls not just out of the back of the lineup but he was actually beating the number ones to balls in the front of the lineup. (laughs) and I said to him after I said to him I said that I said, I said, you were just so good, that mayor of yours. And do you know what he said to me? He said, you know, Joy, sometimes she has me going to the ball and I haven't seen it. <laughs> now, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that's the advantage of teaching your horse about going to the ball. And, and that's what a lot of these good stick work players don't do. 
They don't bother to put, we, we used to call it back in those days, you taught your horse to ride onto the ball. And I remember, and this, this is in, this happened in America, so this will be a bit more pertinent. I had a group of young people there and at that time, they, they had heard about this great player, Daryl Smith. And I put on a chucker and I said to them all, I said, now, what we're doing, we're going to watch this player and we're going to watch this whole chucker. And at the end of, the, end of it, I want you to take note of every difficult pickup he picks up in this chucker. Well, any rate, I put the chucker on and we get to the end of the chucker and I said to them, how many difficult pickups did he pick up? And do you know what? They all looked at me and they said, none. None, <laughs> he, yeah. He didn't pick any up. So that's the difference between hanging by your heel and leaning out to get a ball as opposed to just picking the ball up down the side of you. And it's all about the horse training. How did you train a horse to do that? Yeah, it's 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 really pretty simple, actually. Like what we always used to do, uh, we'd get our young horses, and and we'd we'd started at a at a pretty early age. You know, you 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 might it would be when the horse was just being broken in, really, when you got that you could canter around and. Robbie, remember when you used to ride the creamy fellow over, over from the house? He was only a young horse. And, and what I had you doing there, you'd throw the ball in towards the centre of a pretend circle and you'd, you'd follow the ball in, follow the ball in, and the horse just gets the idea of coming around and coming onto that ball and then you'd go back the other way where you're throwing the ball over the horse but bringing the horse around into it. And, and suddenly you get your horse so that your horse to start with goes into that ball on the correct lead. They need to be leading into the ball. If you're turning onto a ball, you need to be leading into the ball. Or if you're turning away, you need to be on that lead. And when you do that, it, it actually sets the shoulder of your horse down so that the ball's actually closest, closer to you. Yeah, so it, it, it just makes, the whole thing just makes sense. The horse gets the idea of it very, very quickly. And, and it just makes such a difference to you playing the game. As Daryl Smith said, I'm going to the ball sometimes and I haven't even worked out where it is. It's very cat-like. I remember watching the horses go. They're just so independent, uh, moving their feet, kind of like when they're tracking a cow or something like that. Somebody once asked me, what was the difference with polo ponies and polo cross ponies? And I said to them, well, I said, there is a very big difference from this point of view, is if you're riding a polo pony, you're riding on a much, much bigger field. It's really got no boundaries. But when you go onto a polo cross field, it's totally different. And you know where I got thinking about this? I was actually at, it was back and I think it was 1984 and I was playing at the first ever Australian Stock Horse Nationals and we were playing a polo cross competition. And the polo cross final that I was in was just on before the polo final. Okay. And anyhow... Uh, another Hunter Valley polo team, they were playing the polo final and I, and I knew the fellows in the team. They were, they were people known to me. And I was riding a very good mare called Felicity and uh, she was uh, one of the mares I rode in these good, the good women's teams. On that particular day, she was going unbelievably, like I was going into the area 
at one hell of a pace. But this mare, the minute that ball hit your racket, she would literally just fold up and mm. turn and into that goal scoring area to score the goal. Any rate, to give you an idea of how well she was going, she ended up winning the Supreme Playing Pony. And there were horses like Daryl Smith's Eve and Graham Spackman's Leeway. They were playing. But this mare won that award. She was just playing unbelievably. Well, the polo fellows were all waiting to come on. And when I came off, they said to me, how in the heavens can you get a mare to stop and turn like that at that speed in a snaffle bit? (laughs) And I... I made some joke because I'd never really thought about it before. But when I went away and thought about it, this is when I got this idea about the polo field really having no set boundaries, whereas the polo cross field is very structured. If we go back to Felicity, this mare I was riding, I was coming over that penalty line flat out and she was a a very, very fast mare. But she knew, she knew because she was trained that we don't ever go out over that sideline. Right. So even though she's traveling at this terrific rate, she's she's not go she's got that one ear back all the time just waiting on me to say right and she's also getting the cue from the the ball going to the racket you imagine we see people and and we've all seen it uh, we might have even been guilty of it is you'll see people they're coming into the area and they're catching the ball and then they're hanging on to the ball and hanging on to the horse and they're trying to get the horse to come around and the number three is putting them under pressure. Yeah, I, I, I see where you were going with this is, is the horses know what they're doing. And I recall from my little experience when I went to Australia and I played horses over there, it felt like they were pulling on me, but they were just doing their job and I had to stay out of their way. And Exactly. Um, I was used to uh, telling the horse what to do and not just letting them do what they do naturally. I know exactly what you're talking about. Damien Wall came and he played this really old horse of Robbie's, Freckles. Robbie probably remembers this, Fountain Valley, Colorado. And I've never seen that horse go so fast to the goal once he caught the ball. Uh, Freckles is his little pony and a da- you can just picture Damien on him just spinning and getting to that goal. I've just never seen him go that that fast. And it was just because he was... yeah having the horse do what it naturally does. Yes, and like a a lot of riders, they get in the way of their horse. They don't don't sort of help them. I think like I I was judging pony prizes uh, last season at the the New South Wales uh, Zone Championships. And obviously the horse I pulled out, the horse and rider I pulled out, for the champion horse and rider of the carnival was the best combination. It, right. It's no good somebody having wonderful stick work and, and they've got this horse that you uh, really isn't taking part in the game. It's only out there because uh, the rules said you've got to be riding a horse. The horse and rider that I picked out, they were working as a colossal team, you know. Right. And uh, it just makes the play so much easier when... Your horse is doing all that work himself. For example, we used to, like, a, 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 one of the things that, that we used to like to train our horses to do was to be able to check up and change direction. A lot of people do a full 360 as they're coming down the field. Somebody comes onto their stick side, do a full 360. Now, that uh, sounds good in theory, but what goes wrong is when your horse sees this player coming to attack your stick, that horse 
will read the situation and will do this 360 degrees. So it may be good, it may be bad, but what I've always said in playing polo cross is when I'm trying to train a team and I want a team to be a really top team, when we're practicing at home, I don't allow anybody to turn around in centre field. I, I always say, if you have to turn around, you're not reading the game because you should have seen that coming to a dead end and you should have been checking up and getting out of that situation without turning around. The reason for it, it's got two reasons. One, if you don't turn around, you never lose sight of where the other players are. You can be reading the game the whole time while you're playing a straight game. The second thing is, is that you don't stop. You always want when you're training your horse to have that horse when they see an opening they know if you're if you're giving them the signal to go through they are accelerating as hard as they can accelerate by ch- checking up somebody races up to hit your racket your first thing you do is you accelerate forward they will accelerate forward to go with you and as they're accelerating forward that is when you check and, and you slip out behind them and you put them on your off stick side or if you don't want them near you at all you can just accelerate to wherever you want and right. your horse you're not stopping that forward momentum and the forward momentum is what you need in training that good smart horse that is going to go out through the openings that you want exactly when you want them right i remember trying to learn that from you how to keep the horse's engine going because i mean i'm going to kind of give give the extreme example here uh when you see the western train uh quarter horse and they do this slide stop nose to the ground that's not what you're talking about uh, that takes a lot of energy what you're talking about is they're still moving in a sort of a, a dressage pee off and they're they're keep they're moving in in place they're ready to go um left right like a cat um, you know, to burst, but they, they've kind of, they've, they're strung out and they ball up and then they're ready to string out again. Um, yes. That's, uh, is that hard to teach? I mean, probably not for you, but uh, can you explain how you teach a horse that? Well, well, we, we would just start very simply at home. When you start any training, you, you don't have pressure. Everything's got to be, the horse has got to feel very comfortable all the time. Like some people like to put pressure on horses, but When you're training them, if you start with them young, you just do very simple exercises like there might be just two of you cantering down the field or even you might be going for a ride. You might be just uh, in the paddock or or wherever. You're just cantering along together or you might even start just trotting. You're trotting along in a pair. One person keeps going. The other one just uh, gently comes back onto the hindquarters and then you might accelerate up at a canter to catch back up to the other person. And just get that, to get that really supple horse uh, in polo cross, he's got to know to come back onto the hindquarters because that's the powerhouse of the horse, is, is to get that hind leg in underneath, be sitting back on that hind leg, and that hind leg is acting as a spring to accelerate him or her away. You can just do it with the simplest little things. It's the same as teaching your horse to rate, which is to change pace. Uh, When you you do it, the easiest place to learn to do that is when you're actually just uh, getting your horse conditioned. 
Uh, you might be trotting around a big paddock or you even may have a track or something that you're trotting around or whatever. So all you do is you trot, you go to a canter, you might go a bit faster than a canter and then you just come back through the paces backwards. You just come back to your trot, you just come back to your walk and you, and you just keep doing and with the young horse, you just keep building the pace on at the end. In the end, one of the problems people make when they're training their horse, they, they teach their horse to trot, uh, to walk, trot and canter. For polo cross, you need your horse to walk, trot, canter, hand gallop, gallop and not get upset. You don't do that by teaching them at home to walk, trot and canter and then you go to the practice and somebody throws a ball in and everybody takes off at full gallop and yep. your horse says, good grief, what's going on here? But if at home, if you've been up to, you know, a, a, a hand gallop uh, faster and then just, and it also teaches your horse how you control him with your body because when you're wanting him to go, you're gripping him and giving him that, push to go but when you want him to come down the paces you start to relax and stop riding and as you stop riding your horse learns to come back with your body right so yes so in the end you have this incredible communication with your horse where basically there's very uh, little use of the reins for stopping the horse it's more about stopping riding and the horse says right now we've got to do whatever we're going to do. We're not going to keep going forward. Your training technique that I think you brought up um, to me, Joy, was uh, when I was a young, inexperienced 18-year-old, is you'd take me down to the paddock and video how I was riding. You know, you could tell me until I was blue in the, you were blue in the face that I wasn't doing something, but then there's video evidence of me not doing what you're telling me to. Yes, I think it was a huge impact, yeah. You know, Robbie, I'm pleased you brought that up because that was something when I started coaching, I found uh, out very quickly that I'd be saying to somebody, you're not doing what I'm telling you. And, and they're looking at you and they're saying, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And that's when I thought, well, somehow or other, we've got to be able to, uh, uh, you know, video these people. And, and look, I can't believe, you know, when we go back in, when I had coaching uh, whatever, or as a, as you said, when I had people here and we went back in, they were really and truly amazed at what I had told them they weren't doing. They weren't doing it because they really believed they were doing it. Right. I've said this like a broken record. I, I am such a, uh, such a student of yours because I, I say if um, people will not admit what they're doing unless they see it on a video. And you used to say, I'm not going to coach you unless I can video these chuckas. When we're watching the chukka, we're going to watch it in mute and we're going to try to say as little about the stuff around the, the game or what someone, you know, or laughing. It's more of just, hey, what are we going to get out of this? Let's watch it in, in mute. And it was such a great tool. And you sort of found out who had humility and who didn't. Because, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the ones, the ones that had an attitude, you, you got them straight pretty quickly. Yes, well, it's a bit like the, the cameras have got you going into the supermarket to rob it and you're trying to tell them you weren't there. <laughs> what was the no. camera that you used with Robbie uh, back then? Do you remember what kind of camera it was? Oh, look, it would have been pretty primitive, I would think. <laughs> it was a whole bunch of Polaroids put together. Yeah. We, took a, we took a series of stills. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Oh, that's, that's phenomenal. What other stuff do you employ when you're coaching that uh, you'd recommend for people? Any other coaching tips? You were such an influence Yeah, well, on I me. think I think when I think when you're coaching, it's the people that I have done the best with coaching are, are people that I've been able to work uh, for a continual period with. Like I can I can go in somewhere and I can give a coaching school and I'm and people will tell me what they have picked up from it. It's a bit like when you're a child, whenever you take something from your parents, you, they say to you, thank you, you know, you've right. got to say thank you. And you get the good manners because your mum and dad pump them into you from when you can remember, you know. Coaching's the same. If you're lucky enough to be coaching people that you're either playing with or that you're coaching every weekend or whatever, and the best ones of all are actually if you're actually playing with the person you're coaching. Because what you're doing is you can keep emphasising, emphasising, emphasising whatever it is they're not doing until they start to do it. Whereas if you just have that one shot at giving them the information. Some people are really good. They, they do pick it up, but a lot of them can do it while you're there. But when you go away and they don't get that constant reminder, then they tend to forget what, what you were talking about. So speaking of players that you've had as guests at your house, as I recall, because this is such an international game now, you've had a lot of foreign players actually being able to stay with you. So as I remember, Gavin Cocker, Stayed with you for a while, maybe Paula yes. Sargent. Yes, uh, yeah, Kane Matthews. Kane Matthews. Steve yes, Bryant uh, from New Zealand. Steve Bryant. There, there was uh, you and Robbie and Heather. Ryan, you and Heather came. Uh, yep. And then I had, I had a lot of Australians too. I had Ben Turner from um, uh, down in Tasmania, and uh, and I, I sometimes had people here uh, for weekends. But the ones I did best with were like like you, who actually came and stayed. In at that stage, we um, we had a good range of horses, like. I, as I said, I found uh, that photo of you and you're only 18 and you're on, on a mare. And actually, it was quite interesting because uh, the mare you were on, Canchi too, I'd had Kane Matthews the year before. And as part of what Kane did, Kane actually broke her in. Uh, she was only three when you were riding her. Kane had broken her in at two. She'd been cantered around with the stick and ball when she was young. And then as a three-year-old, you were playing in a low-grade team out there there at Golgong and you were doing all the things and, and looking at you, you were concentrating so hard because you knew you had to teach her to check up and change direction and all the things we'd been practicing at home. And we had that a range of horses and then uh, we'd have uh, some very good ones that uh, people could ride to get the idea of, of what the finished product looked like. And the good thing too was that you had that period of time when for however long you were here, the three or four months or five months, whatever it was, your whole uh, mind was just set on wanting to be a better horse person and a better polo cross player. And you don't often get that opportunity to put that concentration 
into doing something that you like very often, do you? Not at all, yeah. No, it's really changed my whole thinking about the game and what I've tried to impact on my children as well. Um, you yes. can't play the game without a good horse. So I've concentrated on horses for a while now. <laughs> yeah, and that 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 is just so true. Like I'm quite excited here at the moment. I've probably um, I've got. Do, do you remember meeting a fellow called? He would have been only a kid when you were Paul Ralston. He was only a little little kid, oh yeah but yeah i know paul yeah paul uh i've lent paul a very very nice mare called vintage rose a gray mare she's uh she looks like she's going to be something uh quite exceptional and we've got another one here that uh, we call halloween that we've she's just going through those early stages now where we're you know just checking up changing direction like with those young horses we generally are only playing on half a field so you throw the ball in in the middle Middle, and you probably haven't got six players. You've probably only got two people, and sometimes you could, uh, sorry, four people, but sometimes you might only have two people to to practice these. And so you play on half a field, and whoever gets the ball is going to the same end as you. It's just the same end, and it's just this check up, change direction, make sure you work onto the lines in the right direction, and what have you. And and it just gets the horses. Uh, one of the really good things about doing these sort of things, remember, we always used to pull up and talk about what was happening. And that's a great part of the training too, because that that is teaching your horse. I always used to say, you need to have an on-off switch on your horse. When you're riding your horse, your horse needs to be full on wanting to do what you're doing, but he's got to know that when you stop riding, he switches right off. And and we start that from when they're very young because we, we canter around, we're doing these simple things, but then we all stop and talk. And we might say, oh, I think you weren't quite at the right angle there to get your turn in and whatever. And um, one of the interesting things that I hear, and I'm going to comments that I hear a lot now, and this one is probably top of the list. People will say to me, oh, Joy, you know, the game's played a lot faster now. And I say, oh, that's funny because have the horses got faster, have they? And <laughs> and they look at me and they say, what do you mean? I said, well, I know when I played, at times I was flat out. I said, it could only be played faster if these horses are going faster. So, right. uh, but it's it's not. What, what gives the game now impression perhaps that, people are going faster is if you go to a normal carnival and you look at A grade and then you look at C grade, C grade always looks to be going faster and it's because it hasn't got the control on it. See, going back to this Felicity story I was telling you, with that mare, when I, as I said, when I crossed the line, took the pass, I was playing one, that mare was flat out, you know, but because she had that wonderful stop on her that she literally just folded up and just sucked back round, that doesn't look to be fast. Does that make sense? Because now if I'd have flown in at the same speed and then couldn't stop and went out over the sideline, everybody would have been saying, oh, she was going too fast. She couldn't stop. <laughs> yep. uh, today, I, I don't think the game's played any faster. I think one of the things that I, I think the game now, if 
if I were training you now and we were going to a World Cup, one of the things that I would be training you in would be what I call infusion of the African game. By that I mean you've got to allow in your play for the fact that you will have your number one in the opposite team getting very up front of play so that they're waiting on a long pass, which means... You've, you've got to be very focused on where those players are going. Now, if I go back to when I started playing, we st- if you started to get a, a player away that was scoring goals or whatever, you'd hear uh, your own players singing out, mark up, mark up. To allow for that African infusion in the game, you've got to really be in a position to mark up all the time. So you can't have your three hanging back down in middle field if there's only a 50-50 chance that you're going to get the ball. Uh, You've really got to have your odds up a little bit higher. Otherwise, you should be motoring towards your number one because you know your number one's going to be sitting at least halfway up to the area. What I heard from Braxton was that he was being told as a one to go to the one, knowing that they were going to give the one the ball. So the game is sort of turned on its head. It's a it's a different game. You know, because this is an international podcast, Joy, you were at the first two World Cups and then again at this most recent one in 2019. Yes. What major changes have you noticed in the game? And kind of on top of that, at the first couple of World Cups, the Northern Hemisphere was pretty much obsolete besides the UK coming in second at the 07 World Cup. Now the parity in the game is is uh, much closer. You could finish first or eighth in a heartbeat, it seems like now. I mean, what have you noticed about the change in the game? Well, I think, I think the biggest change that I probably noticed in the game was in 2003, Australia won the World Cup playing 100% the Australian style of play in 2000 and when were we? 2019, 18? Oh, yep, yep, 19. Australia won the World Cup, but they played a combination of the Australian game and the African game. They played a combination and they played it better than the African teams. Right, they they, had been going over to the Land Rover playing, I know Lance and Jimmy and the players have been going over. That's right. They they went over and and they like the I thought they did their homework incredibly well. But the thing that I can say about the Australian team, their horsemanship hadn't gone out the door. They were riding particularly well. They rode very well. I I was extremely impressed with the Australian team. I thought the homework that they had done the and, and I also heard the same as you. They'd actually been over to Africa to play. They'd actually gone there to get their heads around what people do over there. They'd sifted through and kept the best from uh, every bit that they could look at. But the thing that really impressed me was in doing it, the Australians hadn't lost their horsemanship. They, and, and, and like when I say they hadn't lost their horse, horsemanship, When you ride correctly, you ride with respect for your horse. That just makes all the difference to the the game as a spectacle for me. When you're playing and you're respecting your horse and your horse is working nicely for you and you're respecting that. I'll tell you what, I just had a phenomenal time up there. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
one of the big things was I met up with people I'd played in state teams with and uh, people I'd coached around the world. And I'll tell you what, we were in the middle of this terrible drought and there was no way I could go. And I rounded up friends of mine and I said, well, will you feed the cows for me? Will you feed the horses? Will you do this? <laughs> I had a battery going, but I said, I'm going and I'm going for the whole lot. And it, it was one of the best things I've ever decided to do in my life. It was just wonderful. And as you say, you've hit the nail on the head when you say the teams are so close that, you know, in a heartbeat, one minute you could be coming in at number two and, and in in another heartbeat you're playing off for seventh and eighth. For you to say that about the, the way that they manage their horses, rode their horses, that means a lot. I mean, that that's for you to say that, that uh, they didn't let that part go. So they were really dominating on all ends of the, of the spectrum, their racket skills. They were adjusting to different styles, defense. I, I remember, uh, who was it from WA, did the overarm against us in 2011, did one overarm goal. Uh, he didn't have to, but I think it was just to be funny. Uh, <laughs> when, they, when, they, when they beat us for third place. Oh, yeah. Rob Sibley. Yeah, Rob Sibley, yep. Uh, shout out to Rob there. Thanks for uh, doing that against us. But uh, no, there, a lot has <laughs> changed. A lot has changed since then. Look, there's certainly uh, there's certainly been massive changes, and I think like even now in club polo cross, you'll see in Australia here some African, what I call some of the more African strategies coming in. But the thing that I'm always pleased with is if people go to the trouble to train their horses and show their horses what they need to know about the game. And then it just becomes just so, so much better if your horse knows what you're doing. It's, uh, I, I could tell you a funny story there. I remember years ago, I was playing on a particularly good pony, a pony called Impact. To give you an idea of the calibre of him, I, I won champion ladies pony at the Australian Nationals on him twice. So you can just get a bit of an idea of how he went. Anyhow, in this particular game we were playing, we were playing a dunny do. And anyhow, in the melee down one end, uh, the number three broke her racket and they were in, the, it must have been down near their goal scoring area. And one of my players got the ball and after a bit of uh, toing and froing, I set off for my goal scoring area because my person was bringing the, the ball and uh, I'm looking back and, and she got held back and, and, and I'm still travelling along and suddenly my horse just checked up, changed direction and dodged out to the right of another player. What had happened was the, the girl that had gone off for her racket had raced back onto the field and, and I hadn't noticed her coming and she shot up into my stick side and my horse just automatically checked up, changed direction and was on the other side of her. Oh my gosh. So the horses and knew I, each other I, that well. I, I never, I didn't even see it coming back with the, you know, <laughs> but that, that will just give you an idea how the horse learns to read the situation and know what to do in that situation. If you can have that nice training on your horse, uh, you suddenly find that the game becomes a, a whole different thing to play, you know? Yeah. I'd like to transition to talk about breeding. Uh, Robbie wants to say something, but before he says something, um, he's got his hand up again. He, he like He's talking a lot. No, I, I think of really two people in the States that are uh, phenomenal horse trainers. And when I think about horsemanship, I think about Renee Thompson and Robbie Shuttles. So you've had, you've really done a good job with Robbie. He's been a good student, but uh, he had a great teacher. So Robbie, get your uh, next question in here. 
but I, I, we were going to talk about breeding next. Well, that kind of carries on to that question that um, the stock horse wasn't here until pretty much we had some Australian teams come over and start to recognize the uh, quality of the horse altogether. That was in the early 90s that we started to think about bringing horses over. And there's been several places like Ryan's mom, Kelly Campbell. There's a couple in Colorado and California. I'm not sure of the numbers, but I would think internationally, USA is in the top, you know, in the top five, at least about importing semen and actually having standing stock horse studs here. Can you talk about how your influence, like how you brought that into uh, everybody's mind? Well, I think I I probably talked the horses up. There's no doubt about that. But I think the the thing that convinced people most was actually riding them. When when they people came to Australia to play and were lent horses here, I think a lot of them when they got on these Australian stock horses, a lot of them had never really ridden a horse that can do what the Australian stock horse can do. Now, why the Australian stock horse, in my opinion, is the greatest mount for polo cross is because it's actually built exactly, if you if you said to somebody, now look, I want you to go out and program this horse for me. I want, I want a horse that is very powerful in the hind quarters so it has uh, massive acceleration, but I want you to have a horse that can sit up and then change direction And then most importantly of all, I want a horse that can keep doing this if necessary for an A-chucker match. He's got to have that constitution and he's got to have that uh, ability for endurance. And and that's what you need for polo cross. And that exactly describes the Australian stock horse. See, in the 200 plus years that this horse has been bred for Australian conditions, one of the biggest things that were needed in a horse in Australia was endurance. You had to have a horse that you might have to, for example, they tell the story up at Hayden Stud. I think it was every second Friday or every month, I'm not sure, but they had to do the banking and they lived at Murundi, which was at the top of the Hunter Valley. And somebody used to set out from the Haydens at Murundi and they would nearly canter to Maitland to do the banking. And then they'd come back home that same day. Now, just off the top of my head, I, I think we're probably talking at, at, at a round ride. We're, we're talking of a couple of hundred kilometres. Now, that's that's just sounds incredible. But once again, it was proved in the First World War at Beersheba, uh, the, the Australian horses that were over there with the Australian light horse, okay. World War One, yeah, over in the Middle East, they didn't have water. And the only place there was water was, was at these wells at Beersheba. And the horses had been something like 80 hours without a drink of water. And those horses were still able to charge. And I think it's regarded as the last charge in history of, of horses, cavalry. And they took those wells at Beersheba. And it was one of the things that uh, led to uh, winning the war in the Middle East. But uh, this endurance that's built into them, the other things that the stock horse has that helps you in polo cross, the horse should have a really good shoulder which means when you're sitting on a stock horse, you're not sitting on top of them, you're sitting into them. Does that make sense? Mm, Explain. If you've got a horse that's rounded over the top and as a pointer to a a horse whose wither comes to a point. Now, now I should go back and say one of my uh, 
one of my sayings when I started coaching in America was when I first started coaching there, a lot of people were riding quarter horses, uh, which were which are lovely tempered horses and, and can do some amazing things. But when they were on their quarter horses and they'd bend down to get the ball, because the, the wither is flat and rounded and sometimes lower than the rump, when you bend out off your saddle to pick up the ball, the saddle comes with you. And I used to call it the American pickup because you'd come over, you'd pick up the ball, and then you'd have to go back into your, off, into your near side iron if you're a right-hander and put weight down into that iron before you could get the saddle sitting back level again. Can you remember that? Yep. I used to call it the American pickup because <laughs> when you're sitting on a stock horse, because they've got that with you, your saddle sits firm. It's, yep. it's not, not rolling. So that is a, a big advantage when you're trying to pick up balls and to have yourself in a good position to do it, you know? Well, I don't want to start a controversy, but um, <laughs> at this 2019 World Cup, I think it was Ross Shepard was commenting on how countries are going to go and this kind of thing. And he called out the USA as not having any good horses and all of our horses are sawed off little quarter horses that are fat and don't run. <laughs> well, he obviously hasn't been to America. I can say <laughs> Ross Shepard has never been to America. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, you, you would have to admit, Joy, I mean, we do have a couple of clever horses here and they're getting, they're getting more by the day. I would oh, Listen, Robbie, before the stock horses came uh, out there, I came back here and I'll tell you one of the things I said to people over here. I said, there's, uh, there's a section of girls that play with a club called Lone Star from Texas. And I said, if they came here on their horses, they would give our, some of our better girls a run for their money. I said, those girls are good. And I said, they got really good horses. Now, if you think about those really good horses, and there were a, there were a pile of them, but they were all basically thoroughbreds or part thoroughbreds, uh, yeah. a, a pile of them were. Oh, I'm trying to think of the, the Prissy had that really good mare. I'm thinking of Lulu, Robbie. Might... Yeah, 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 there was Lulu. And um, I'm trying to think like the team you were in, Robbie, um, there was a really, there was a good chestnut mare played number one. There was the mare that ended up at Kelly Campbell's that she bred from. Yeah, there's think, Mariah, there's uh, Steel Rose. There's there's plenty of horses here that... Ah, oh, Steel Rose. Like, Steel Rose, the, I was watching uh, her being played and she was playing number one, like I'm saying Felicity was playing it at Canberra. She was going into that area as fast as she could travel and she was just sitting down and around she'd come. Now, she was a, a very, very good mare. Now, yeah. anybody... Amos Underwood had that mare, Steel Rose, and then kind of shifted her on to Renee Thompson, who I think yes. has bred the best American-bred horse ever um, in Rosa. It's a stock horse with Steel Rose. Yes. And she is, she is phenomenal. Like, the thing with it, Robbie, any, for anybody to say... There were no good horses in America. That that was absolute rubbish. For because, as I said, I think uh, the first time I came there with Polo Cross was about 1995, and that was the and that was the. Uh, That's thing probably that, Ross right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, that 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 was just a crazy thing to say. Absolutely crazy. Well, I was paraphrasing a bit, but it was something to that effect that we all, we all had short, fat, round horses that didn't run. <laughs> Joy, it was, it's just crazy how it happened. But 
uh, before my mother passed, uh, about four or five months before, she had she had moved uh, Zorro onto the Saucies, and they they now have him at stud. They've covered all. They've covered this year uh, ten ten mares. Yes. Through their program, so that they are breeding at a much higher rate than we were breeding. Uh, my mom had sort of, you know, she was doing embryo transfers, breeding like rabbits, and it uh, really helped get it going. And and they've really carried the torch. So um, hats off to the Saucies who have kind of taken them on. And we do have a Hayden, you know, we had a Hayden Hayden stud. Um, I remember back in uh, the Darwin Nationals, my mom came over as the manager of the of the team uh, that Robbie was coaching, and I remember she abandoned the team <laughs> and just went on. <laughs> She went on a tour, and I think she just went over there. That was her cover. Just went nuts. It must have been 2002, Darwin Nationals. And yeah, yes, I, I remember that. It was <laughs> her and Jean. We saw the – I think I think that their worst faux pas was when Terry Blake had just yeah, Blake's that whole display. We were in the middle of a huge talk from Terry Blake talking about confirmation of a beautiful horse, this kind of thing. And uh, Mrs. Murphy and Jean walked right through the middle of it. Oh, it started. And we already had <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's, it's, it certainly started. <laughs> no, no, any rate, Pete, but no, like, uh, that's probably, that's the thing that has kept me so interested in Polo Cross is the horses. And uh, it's nice to think that uh, when Polo Cross gets started, and I think they're going to start to play the first week of August, and uh, I'll be at that carnival because there'll be a horse of mine there playing, this Vintage Rose, who is an incredibly good type of mare. Uh, she she won a lot of uh, awards in the show ring before I started to uh, have her play polo cross because she is just a, a tremendous athlete and it would be a shame never to have performed her at polo cross. And uh, Was that your grey horse up at the uh, Warwick draft that was doing well? No, no, that, that was another one. That was Wren. Unfortunately, I lost that mare. I, I've never lost a mare foaling in my life and, that, and I lost her and she was probably the most valuable mare I owned at that time, which was a... Mm. A bit of a super disaster, but anyhow, no, she she was a brilliant mare, that mare, and uh, yes. But this mare's good. As a matter of fact, she must have a bit of eye appeal about her because uh, Paulie played her down in the Southern Highlands before coronavirus shut down, and, and Sarah and Charlie Grills came over to ask about her. So uh, she certainly caught their eye. That's, yeah. that's saying something. <laughs> right, and, and Joy, you could probably list, I don't know, 30, 40 people that have had the opportunity to play your horses over over the years. The breeding is phenomenal, the training, and then you've, you've got them playing even though you're not playing. It's just so many people that have had that opportunity to play yeah. your horses. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, it is. I just noticed that one one that I sold quite a few years ago now, uh, I noticed it was uh, it's being retired or for sale and uh, uh, they were mentioning that, that it had played for Australia and Queensland and a whole other lot about it, you know. So it's good to know that other people, as well as myself, have got a lot of pleasure out of the horses because that's um, that's the main purpose in breeding them is is to have nice horses that other people can 
can get enjoyment out of. How, how many are at your place right now? Well, right now, uh, I've still got the full stud, actually. I've, I've got 32 horses here at the moment, oh. uh, which uh, is mares and foals and yearlings and two-year-olds and then um, the three- and four-year-olds. But there's some in the three- and four-year-olds that have been sold. But, I, you know, while I feel like it's, it's a great interest for me from the point of view that it keeps me in touch with polo cross, I, I love to... Um, uh, to go to the polo cross, I had an extraordinary honour last year of uh, being asked to be patron of New South Wales polo cross, uh, which I accepted and uh, I feel that's a great honour. And one of the things that the president of, of that time said to me, he said, we, we thought we'd ask you because you've, you've never lost interest in it. And uh, that's what I'd have to say. I've Never, ever lost interest in polo cross. I can go to a carnival and I still get enormous enjoyment out of watching good players and good horses competing. I, I just think it's a, a wonderful game. I don't have any other outstanding questions. I don't know if Robbie does, but you've got to get back to all your phone calls that you've, you've received. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, been switching them off at such a rate. <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh, tell you. Yeah, I can't tell you how wonderful it's been to talk to the two of you. Oh man, it's been great. This has been, yeah, I really yeah. appreciate it. I've gotten, I don't know, probably thirty uh, gems out of this conversation. It's really the just these little these things that you you're so wise and you've had such an influence on us and can't even begin to thank you enough for this time. Speaking of the drought that you just went through, the I, hear, I remember Warwick saying that uh, at the World Cup last year that Warwick was down to 3% of their water supply. Yep. They, they still had a, a World Cup. Yeah, and I, I remember Claudia saying to me, <laughs> the last thing I'd said, she said to me in 2000 when, when she dropped, me up, dropped us off at uh, Robbie, Heather, and I at the train station was, <laughs> I've, I've used all your water. <laughs> <laughs> from your collection tank uh, because the average American uses 80 gallons of water a day and we, we, we don't know what it's like to be starving for water. <laughs> so, uh, oh, so no, it's... where are you at now for water? What, what I mean? Yeah, no, we're good at the moment. Uh, basically three full tanks. So uh, we've, we've had a bit of rain and that it's not too bad at the minute. Uh, we go, we're obviously in winter which means the rain that we've had hasn't been doing everything that um, it would do if we would have been getting the same rain in summer or, or autumn, you know, or spring. But right. no, we're, we're, we're okay. We're, we're battling on. But we're hoping now that, we're, uh, as I said, I've been seriously worried about the pandemic in America because uh, your president isn't taking it seriously or he doesn't appear to be from some of the things he's saying to us, like, <laughs> gosh, like, surely people must have seen what happened in New York. It was, right. uh, it's, it's scary stuff. And uh, yeah, the, see, the worst thing about it is none of us have got any immunity to it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's the big deal is this no immunity. So you just hit gangbusters with it. But at any rate, you guys make sure you keep safe. Oh, I, we, I appreciate it. Robbie's, I'm, I'm a little more remote than, well, Robbie's remote, but he's in Texas. So yeah, let's pray for Robbie. <laughs> yeah. I listen, give Aubrey, wish you a happy birthday for me, Robbie. Oh, oh thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah, she just turned 15. Oh, yeah, my gosh. I've got her and Hayden's, those little photos you sent me. They're sitting up on the... But don't, 
I don't see yeah, They're sitting up in the mantelpiece. Right. No, I couldn't get over there. They're quite young, a young man, young woman now, aren't they? Well, thank you very much. Yeah, they're, um, they're on our best horses at the moment. So uh, we had a hell of a polycross season planned, but this corona took over. But oh, the same thing happened here. So, uh, yeah, so as you say, right. I'd better start to work out these phone calls. <laughs> well, thanks. Right. It's good to catch up. Love, oh. Lovely to talk to you. Lots of thank, love. Thank you so much. Right, Ben. You have a good one. Same to you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you're able to absorb these common sense tips and apply them to your game. Joy is such a phenomenal person, and Robbie and I were honored to catch up. Here on Chucka Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail Sidebar button on PolacrossMadeSimple.com. For more Polacross coaching, go to PolacrossMadeSimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one.